This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Many managers dislike activist investors whom they see as a distracting force to long-term strategy of an organization, but new research shows that activist-driven changes can actually have great results for a company. They shake things up with some fresh ideas. Sometimes they want to spin off parts of a business that they view as unnecessary or maybe a drag on the organization. Now, this can create conflict, particularly in a business acquired uh, if the business acquired another because they saw it as valuable and a way to improve the bottom line. One such case in the news right now is a move made by activist investor Starboard Value towards eBay, of which it owns 4%. Starboard wants eBay to spin off or sell ticketing website StubHub. But such a push to divest can become a bit of a political process as both sides try and gain support from other investors, and it can be costly. As we mentioned, research done here at the Wharton School looked at the impact of these activist-impelled divestitures and what they mean to investors. Emily Feldman is Associate Professor of Management here at Wharton and one of the authors of the research. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Dan. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, I guess let's start with that view of activist investors because, as I said, some people view them as a positive because they bring something fresh to the table. Other people view them as really kind of an annoyance. How do you see it? Yeah, so this is really what motivated us to kind of start on this study and begin thinking about this question. And we actually sort of saw a prevailing view uh, in the press uh, in talking to managers that activists were really a negative force, right, that they were kind of troublemakers, shaking things up, you know, asking managers to do things that they didn't necessarily want to do. And so we wanted to uh, investigate this, uh, you know, prevailing view within the context of uh, corporate strategy and divestitures in particular to see whether this actually held any held any water or or whether this was just kind of a sentiment that was that was not really at play. And and so the research that you did, you looked at divestitures from Fortune 500 companies over what about an eight year period from 2007 to 2015, about 4,500 total. What did you find? Yeah. So we ended up finding uh, that activist impelled divestitures, so the divestitures that activists were demanding that companies undertake uh, pretty substantially outperform the ones that managers undertake of their own accord. Uh, To put some numbers on it, we looked at announcement effects, so the way that the stock market reacts on the day that these deals were announced, and the activist-impelled divestitures outperformed the manager-led ones by 2 to 3 percent on the announcement day. Uh, And then we tracked the differences in returns forward in the months following the completion of the divestitures, and we saw that on a monthly basis, the activist-impelled divestitures outperformed the manager-led divestitures by about 1.5% in shareholder returns per month, which is pretty significant. But how how, how far out does that benefit actually continue to go for the company when you have that divestiture? So this was what was really surprising to us, and this, I think, is what really uh, counteracted the prevailing view, right? So the view was, okay, activists are, you know, sort of troublemakers, negative, in it for short-term gain, not really looking for long-term value for the company. But what we ended up finding in our study was that these differences in monthly returns that I was just talking about actually persist for uh, up to two years following the completions of the respective sets of divestitures, right? So two years is a pretty substantial amount of time to see ongoing benefits from yeah. these activists, right? So this is one of the things that was really surprising and compelling about this study, the fact that we were able to document these differences in returns over such a long period of time. And, and it really becomes of the fact that they spun off 
a segment of the business. I mentioned, you know, at the top, eBay with the potential want by Starboard Value to spin off StubHub. Just the fact that they spun it off, made it its own separate entity, and the appeal of the company and maybe the following of the company by investors led to the gains. Yeah, exactly. So there's lots of different factors that might lead to the improvements within the divesting company. Uh, and so just to be clear, we're not only talking about spinoffs, we're talking about divestitures in general. So spinoffs right, right. are a subcategory, but nevertheless, you're right. So within the divesting firms, you know, what we ended up seeing was it could have been a lot of different factors, right? So it could have been clearer analyst perceptions. It could have been undoing over diversification that the company might have undertaken in the past. Uh, it could have been uh, sort of reducing manager entrenchment or, or things along those lines, right? So all of these problems that were getting rectified uh, within the divesting companies were, I think, what's contributing to the value differential that we're seeing there in, in terms of these activist-impelled divestitures. Now, how many times do you see, and, and I, I think this is a relatively large number, in that you have an interest from an activist investor to say to want to buy in to a particular company. But again, they kind of put the caveat on it, say, OK, if we're going to come on board, we're going to do A, B and C right off the bat. This is exactly what we want. How frequent of an instance does that happen? Yeah, so very much so. So it, I think it's important to be clear about what activists do when they take a stake in, in companies, right? So they can come in with a lot of different demands, right? Yeah. So they can come in and say, okay, we want seats on the board, or we want you to uh, rethink the way that your balance sheet is structured, or we want you to consider undertaking uh, you know, scope-changing transactions like divestitures, right? So lots of different things. We want you to think about compensation differently. Right? So lots of different things can be demanded. What's really interesting is that we actually had some data on this to look at what the breakdown of, uh, of uh, demands that activists were making were. And so as it turned out, you know, about half of the activists kind of come in and immediately ask for board-related changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, over 20 percent of them actually start talking about divestitures as an appropriate strategy for the company to start thinking about um, in terms of what they should what they should do going forward. What other elements fall into the divestiture category? We mentioned spinoffs, but what other elements play in there as well? Right. So you can also think about sales to other companies, right? So yeah. companies could either spin off one of their divisions into an independent publicly traded company, which would then uh, sort of operate as a freestanding entity, but they could equally sell uh, one of their segments or one of their businesses to another company or even to private equity, uh, right. so to a willing buyer pretty much. And either of those would be uh, sort of viable modes of divestiture for companies to undertake. Do you know what happens after that two-year window then? I, I mean, you mentioned having that one. And when you think about it, people listening to us might say, one and a half percent, that's, you know, it's okay. But, yeah. but when you're talking about some of the, the, the spinoffs or divestitures we're talking about, you're talking about multi-million dollar companies. Yes. So one and a half percent is a pretty good return, you know, for two for a two-year period. Yeah. And it's one and a half percent per month per also, month. to yeah. be clear. So yeah. it's even... It's even better than what you're saying. So absolutely. So what we ended up documenting in terms of these even longer term effects is that there was actually no statistical difference between the activist impelled divestitures and the manager led divestitures starting at two years, 24 months after the completion of those deals. Yeah. So in my view, you know, this this could be that, you know, the the effect that we're documenting disappears. But I think it's also important to note that two years is a, is a pretty long time, right? So yeah. it becomes more and more difficult to say, okay, these differences are, in performance are directly linked to the divestitures that companies are undertaking, right? So the, the connection, I guess, between the strategy and the outcome becomes a little bit more blurry at that point. So that's what I would say. Does it seem like we are in a, a, a period of time right now where there is more of this activity in general? 
and, and maybe partly it's because of the coverage that we have from different elements of the media looking at the business sector in general. But it feels like there is more want by activist investors to pick out specific businesses and either want to have extra, you know, get their people on the board or they want to change kind of the formula of what the company is. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's been a huge uptick in divested, in uh, activist activity uh, in companies in, in recent years. I was looking at some statistics a couple of weeks ago that was talking about the number of activist campaigns. So in 2015, I think the number was something like 550 activist campaigns. By two 2018, I think the number was somewhere around eight, eight or nine hundred in terms of the number of activist campaigns against companies. Not necessarily all asking for divestitures, but you know, certainly targeting these companies and sort of asking for changes to happen within them. Do you think that that, that this particular research has it? gets out and, and it makes its way into the mindset of companies and activist investors, that it may to a degree change the mindset of a company to open the door even more to a spinoff or to a sale, doing that in advance so that you don't have the run by the activist investor and your company may have a couple of people pushed off the board of directors. You lose you know, a, a a stake in the company as well. Yeah, I really hope it does, actually. I mean, I, I think my point in this paper, our point in this paper was not so much to say, oh, activists are good, managers are bad, but to sort of understand that activists are proposing strategies that are creating value for companies, right? And mm -hmm. so if companies were to embrace these ideas a little bit more proactively, they might end up being able to create some of the value that shareholders have to wait for the activists to come in and start demanding the changes in order to be realized, right? So I, I think there is absolutely a case for you know, managers kind of taking a page from the book of activist investors and maybe behaving a bit more proactively in terms of some of their structural decisions and in terms of some of their strategy decisions. But would this also potentially see more reaction by investors in general? Because if you see an activist come on, get 4% of a company and want to make change, and we know that from a trend perspective, there is going to be a benefit there. I would think investors as a whole would want to kind of follow the lead of the investor and support that type of Absolutely. activity. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, investors should be happy if they see an activist targeting one of their companies, especially in in my research, if they're demanding uh, that divestitures be undertaken, because I think it's a it's a sure sign that there's going to be some value creation happening from, from what the activists are demanding. Absolutely. Emily Feldman joining us here in studio of the Wharton School. We're talking about the research she has done looking at activist investors and the value that uh, they create when when they come into a company, specifically when you're talking about a divestiture, your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. So if, if you take the example I mentioned of, uh, of eBay and StubHub for a second, uh, the activist investor that wants to come on board and wants to to make this change, their goal is by potentially either spinning off or selling off something like StubHub also has to have an impact on the company itself, the main company, to have it focus on, I would think in many cases, its core business. Like eBay is a marketplace. While StubHub is a marketplace for tickets, there is a difference between the two. 
Absolutely. And I, I think this is what ends up happening a lot of times and why activists start to target companies like eBay. So they'll have a core business that really drives, you know, 80 percent of the revenues or something like that, I think is the number for is the number for eBay. Right. And then they have these other businesses that maybe are adding value, maybe not. Maybe they're being managed well, maybe they're not being managed well. But there is sort of an opportunity to say, all right, management, let's focus on the core, right, and get rid of all of these ancillary businesses that yeah. might or might not fit with this or might or might not be creating synergies with this and adding value to it, right? And I think that that mentality of really looking strategically at the composition of the portfolio um, is, an, is an important uh, role that activists can play here in terms of identifying what's really creating value for companies and what's not. So exactly like with this eBay example, right, their core is this marketplace business. Is the classified business really adding value for them? Is StubHub yeah. really adding value for them? Is eBay's management really the right management team to operate those businesses? Yeah. And what's fascinating about eBay, actually, as an example, is that it's actually not the first time that they've been targeted by activists, right? right. So a couple of years ago, um, an activist came in and was demanding that PayPal uh, be split from eBay, right? And so those, those two companies were previously housed under the same yeah. roof, right? Yeah. They were together. And the activist came in and demanded a separate Operation, um, you know, the, the payments business was far more far more competitive, far more competition within that business. Marketplace was something with totally different characteristics, and they just didn't belong together strategically. Yeah. There was not a fit anymore. Um, and so that that demand ended up unlocking a, a huge amount of value for for the two companies, right? And allowing them to trade publicly and independently was was a huge step forward for both of them. And the potential of what you get is is that you may make that that company a a standalone company put it off on its own for a, uh, a period of time and then you draw the interest from another company two years five years down the road that wants to acquire that company because of the strength that it has having been taken away from the the original parent company yes exactly so so part of it could be acquisitions and I'll come back to that in a second right so yeah. the standalone business could be acquired by another company that's certainly an outcome but part of it is that just the standalone company could end up being a more effective competitor on its own with its own focus its own capital allocation uh, its own management team that's thinking only about the problems that it faces right PayPal is squarely focused on you know online payments e-payments yeah. as its marketplace and dealing with the competition and the issues in that space, right? They're not sort of thinking about what eBay is doing and online marketplaces and all of these other things. So that separation really aids strategic clarity and allows that company to to function more effectively as a standalone competitor. Does it also potentially change the view on governance? But when you think about, you know, if, if PayPal, when it was under the eBay hub, you also have to deal with the rules that eBay has set down to run your company. Absolutely. And maybe you don't have board members who have the relevant expertise to, uh, you know, govern a company in the online payment space, because what you're doing in the marketplace is totally different, right? So if you think about who you choose as a board member, Right, you might be able to structure your boards much more effectively to manage these two companies separately. Do you uh, do you often then see once you have a split of some kind? Do you often see board members from the parent company going over to the company that has been split off? So I've actually done some research on this in a separate paper. So I've I've not looked at this 
specifically within the context of activists, but within the context of spinoffs in general. Yeah. So what was fascinating about that particular study is that in 40% of the companies in my sample, yes, uh, board members from the parent companies actually end up going to serve on the boards of the separated entities. Both, but both companies both at the same time. At the time. same time, yeah, yeah. which is pretty striking if yeah. you think about it from a governance perspective. <laughs> right. right? Who are you beholden to? Who are you uh, maximizing value to? What if the interests of those uh, directors kind of come into conflict? So that's a whole a whole nother uh, you know boatload of issues basically to yeah. to think about. But you know, yes, there could be there could be some value from the same people serving on both boards. Right. But but I find it interesting going back to the activist uh, question for a second is, is that in, in all the instances that we have seen realistically come up, there is so much interest and there is so much drive once an activist shows an interest in a particular company, it, it, it it's almost to a degree like an awakening for 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 the firm that may be looking to to be acquired or or have a portion of it acquired. Right, absolutely. And and I think this is this is kind of the point, you know, whether the separated business that's, you know, sort of divested at the behest of activists stands alone whether it's acquired by another company, the point is that it's able to put itself into a kind of a better competitive situation, right? So to give an example uh, of this, right, you can think about Nestle, right? Nestle has yeah. been under fire from activist investors to actually to separate its entire company into three parts. They want them yeah. to separate groceries and nutrition and uh, kind of food products from, from one another, right? So they want them to divide into, into three parts. In the meantime, right, Nestle hasn't done this full separation, but they have divested the confectionery business and they sold it to Ferrero, which is a purely focused confectionery company, right? Yeah. And so, you know, can that company manage Nestle's confectionery business better than Nestle can? Well, yes, probably, because Nestle has a whole bunch of other things going on that might or might not be relevant to this confectionery business. Once you put the confectionery business in a company, Ferrero, that's purely focused on this particular issue, the competitive dynamics, how consumer tastes are changing, what the competitive landscape is like within that particular sector, right? that business could perform better, right? Do you think that this is going, the push that activists are having right now, is it going to continue, and, and, and I ask it from this perspective, that there almost seems to be with the company that was the huge conglomerate mm -hmm. going back 20, 30, 40 years, that there is almost kind of a leaning out, a thinning out of, of what that company wants to have under its umbrella. And I, I think of General Electric, being GE being one of them, where we have seen pieces of GE sold off, spun off, over the last few years because GE wants to just focus on two or three specific areas. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that within the past, you know, five, ten years, there's been a huge push to focus uh, in companies in general, and activists are contributing to this, right? But we see a lot of activity right now where companies are really slimming down and focusing in on one or two core areas. I think GE is a great example. Many of the tech companies were doing this, right? Think of HP, think of Xerox, sure, yeah. right? Think of Symantec, yeah. think of eBay, right? A lot of these companies are sort of pushing towards focus as we're looking at this. And yeah, I mean, I, th I think that activists are sort of playing into this because on average, if you look at the returns to divestitures and to 
focus increasing focus focus increasing transactions more generally, right? You can see that investors react positively to them, right? The average investor response to a divestiture is about a three percent abnormal positive return yeah. on the announcement of a divestiture. By comparison, if you look at announcement effects to mergers and acquisitions, it's about 0.7 percent positive. Oh wow! Right, so it's it's a huge difference if we look at focus increasing versus focus decreasing. But realistically, there I mean, when you think about it, there isn't a, a ton of difference between the two. It's almost a perception that 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 makes that that 2.3 percent difference right there. Absolutely, I think that's exactly right. It's a perception, but it's a perception that translates into reality, right? In the sense that okay, we see that this transaction is happening, and what does that imply in terms of how we are going to to expect that managers are going to run the remaining company. And I think that's the projection that investors are hanging that 3% return on when they look at divestitures. Right? But, but again, the world of activist investors it doesn't feel like it's going to slow down in any way, shape, or form because of, of the reaction that we see. And as you lay out with, uh, with your research here, the positive benefits of having an activist investor start to come on and, and, and try and make some positive change on a company that may be following a pattern for a while. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's exactly right. What do, do companies then, I guess, that that are somewhat hesitant to make change like this, are they because they have a level of success for a long period of time, they don't like to make that change, and it really is the activist that, that is spurring that, uh, that, that different mindset? So that's a great question, and I think there's a number of factors, actually, that contribute to the inertia that companies and managers themselves exhibit against these kinds of changes, especially divestitures. Right? So one thing is that you can have enormous amounts of pressure from stakeholders to not refocus, not do divestitures. Right? right. So if you think about how customers are going to respond, if you think about how suppliers are going to respond, how local communities are going to respond. Right. Take the Dow DuPont example that happened. That's yeah. kind of ongoing. Right. Yeah. The local communities in Delaware, our neighbors right down the road, were really unhappy about the announcement of that divestiture. Yeah. Why? Because a lot of jobs were going to leave the region. Maybe headquarters were going to close. Right. So divestitures can have very negative impact on ver on various stakeholder groups. So I think that's one factor that promotes inertia. I think another, and this is much less uh, of kind of a positive story, much more of a negative story, in fact, if you think about uh, what drives managerial incentives, right? Managers are compensated sure. based on the size of their firm, right? Yeah. The profitability of their firm, right? And so if you think about what managers want to do, right? They want to expand. They want to grow. They want to do acquisitions. They don't want to do divestitures. That's exactly the opposite of where their incentives lie, especially in terms of compensation. So I think that's another big force that presses against divestitures. And the third one that I would point to is that you know, you can sort of imagine a, a stigma against divestitures, right? When you hear that a company is sort of saying, oh, well, we couldn't really manage this business or weren't able to be successful in this sector, right? This is not exactly a vote of confidence yeah. for the management yeah. team, right? Yeah. So you can imagine that, and, and they're portrayed fairly negatively despite the positive reaction, which I think is so surprising, Right. So I, I think that inertia kind of plays in as well from the way that divestitures are portrayed as sort of signals of failure or problems that weren't weren't able to be managed within companies. So, so when when this activity is going on and you alluded to it before, but I wanted to go back to it again, the average investor should think what when they're starting to hear the potential of an activist wanting to 
to to tap into a company that they are already invested in. Fantastic. Let's see those changes, right? I think I think that's exactly what investors should be saying. I think they should be happy because a lot of these changes will will shake managers out of their torpor, right? And their yeah. you know, resistance to undertaking these sorts of value creating changes. So I think I think it should be a really really positive reaction when they see. And I think this is what's so striking, right? That you know, you hear activist investors, you see the way that they're <laughs> written about in the newspapers. It's like barbarians at the gate, right? Something <laughs> right. bad is about to happen yeah. to our company. But yeah. it's exactly the opposite. Yeah, activist has definitely earned itself a negative connotation yeah. because, again, just like you said, it's somebody. It's viewed as somebody trying to come in and take something away yeah. from a company that is perceived to have been very successful over a long period of time. Right. No, exactly. And I, th- I think that's the misperception. Yeah. Got to change that though. Yeah. Great seeing you. Thank you for coming in. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Emily Feldman uh, of the Wharton School, joining us here in studio. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.